In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostet, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. The souls of the virtuous are in the hands of God. No torment shall ever touch them. They who trust in him will understand the truth. Those who are faithful will live with him in love. Wisdom 3 verses 1 and 9. Can you imagine being in love with God? I watch Malia's face light up when she skypes her main squeeze back in America. A few minutes with him at random moments during the day carry her through everything she's encountering away from him. It resources her, keeps her going. God promises the same for us, a few moments a day, and no torment will touch us because his hands surround us. His presence eclipses everything earthly. By walking in truth and being faithful, we will feel God's love. Whether or not we will be spared all the pain we encounter as frail humans is hard to say, but we can believe and we can look forward to our chat with him a couple of times a day, which may carry us through everything we're encountering, keep our torments at bay and resource us. Hello, welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNinney. Good morning, Texans. Good afternoon, England. Hope all's going well today. My guest this week is Betty Hoffner, co-founder of Hey Ugly, an association that tells us bullying is not okay and what to do about it. I'll be talking about Canterbury and food, why I'm glad to be home, and sad things like I considered needing a walker when I got up the other night and found I was unsteady on my creaky legs. So make yourself comfortable with a slice of cake and a cup of coffee or your bowl of cereal and a mug of tea while I share a snippet of life across the great Atlantic. Yeah, the other morning when the birds woke me up at 4am, I was tempted to call Australia where people are awake just like my mother-in-law calls us when she first wakes up, knowing we'll be up and ready to chat. But as I got up, I found I couldn't straighten myself fully. My lower back had seized in the night and my legs were all shaky, and I really could have used one of my mother's walkers, both of which are safely stored in the garage against the possibility of my adopting one as my own. Perish the thought. My body was creaking because of all the walking we'd done in Broadstairs and the standing we'd done at the funeral, but I had a glimpse of old age and limped away from it to put my kettle on. One of my listeners asked me this week to share my thoughts about coming home to live. She modified the request with, I know your British tendency towards non-emotion may make this impossible, but I'd be really interested to hear what it feels like to you being back in your homeland living after all these years. This listener has tuned in to me in more ways than just listening to my show on a regular basis. She has me tabbed. I was planning on talking about how I felt moving home after living away for lots of years, and now I've been spurred on to do so sooner rather than later. 
In America, I was always asked the question, don't you miss England? And I generally responded, nope, not even the tiniest bit. I'd lived in merry England most of my life and was excited to be living in the new world and start again with the man I was in love with. I enjoyed the challenges of newlyweds, of having to buy a new home, finding the money for furniture, deciding where to put the kind hand-me-down piece of furniture given by family members cleaning out their garages. I had my own full-time job. I say my own because I'd always worked for the family business. This was different and exciting and so very much mine. Then I started having babies and after my fourth, I graciously gave up my job to stay at home to look after and educate my offspring. In the first years, I generally rattled around the vast house wondering how I ever found time to work and where to put the cast-off furniture we swore we'd replace as soon as we had enough money, but my mother's words came back to haunt me. If you wait until you can afford to fill in the blank, in this case, replace our furniture, you never will. I set down roots in a home we were only planning on keeping for a year, complete with hand-me-down furniture that was growing on me. To say that time got away from me would be an understatement. The one year turned into a quarter of a century, more or less, and in a way, I'm a little bit worried about my claim to move here to England for only one year, just a year. We promised our friends, our fellow worshippers at church, the thespians in our lives and our children, we'd be gone for one year. I'm a really good door shutter, but I haven't had to leave anything major behind for a long time. Unless you count resigning from a job never to return or stepping down from a theatre board without nary a backward glance or changing the last diaper, a nappy, sorry, with desert dry eyes. Sometimes I see traces in my personality of my parents lurking in the wings of my future life, waiting for their cue line, which I hope never comes. As I said at my mother's eulogy, she made me the mother I am. I don't want to wake up one morning and find that I ran away from my adult children and the responsibilities they laid at my feet. I don't want to wake up one morning in my nursing home bed on these fair but soggy lands and wonder where the last quarter of a century has gone. I really don't want to catch myself in the act of following in my parents' footsteps. Honestly, I don't. My folks moved to Broadstairs, Broadstairs 25 years ago on their retirement, and they bought a little house that was so small, guests felt most uncomfortable in its crowded space. My brother asked them when he saw the building plans, it's tiny. What if Vivian ever wants to visit from America? I was childless at the time, but I had one on the way, and he was thinking possibly three bodies visiting, not the six we eventually became. And they replied, we're not thinking about Vivian. I think that comment speaks volumes about my parents and also helps you to understand why I was not missing England when I fled to America into the waiting arms of my blue-eyed cowboy. But before we go any further, this 850-square-foot flat that we're living in is plenty big enough for any number of our children to visit at any time. We'll just have to utilise floor space to the maximum. Today I'm an orphan, but emotionally I was abandoned a long time ago. My brother will agree with me. My parents were so wrapped up in their own love affair, they really shouldn't have had children in the first place. But when parents are still alive, there's that invisible chain binding us to them. In America, I could be myself, but I still fantasize that they were there to see me managing a show, loving my children, throwing a party, hosting a radio show. I never let go of my desire for their approval of my children and of my life. All that stuff we can never let go of, stuff my children carry too. There's no running away from it. 
I brought my husband and our children to England a dozen times at least. The last time we were all together here was for the Christmas of 2005-2006. My parents visited me three times in America before September 11th and never again afterwards. When they visited, they stayed with us in our vast house, had their own bedroom and bathroom and the use of a car and the run of the kitchen. When we holidayed in England, we had to rent a house, even when it was just the three of us. Actually, even when it was just the two of us. I never stayed with my parents after I left school. We had to hire a car, which became more and more expensive as our needs for seat belts increased. My parents supplemented our visits with money, which I took. They were good at that, but the old Beatles song, Money Can't Buy Me Love, rings true, doesn't it? They never learned how to relate to their grandchildren, admitted they were content with being too far away to have to be responsible relatives. Too much bother. My brother had the same problem, so it wasn't just me in America. I tried to determine which parent controlled the drawbridge and decided they spurred each other on. My brother and I talked about this only last night. He agreed they encouraged each other. He said it with a sadness that I shared. When my father was in a nursing home and Malia and I would come over to sort things out with the home and social workers, my suggestions of staying with mum were discouraged with, where's Malia going to sleep? There was only one spare bedroom. I compare notes with other friends, English and American, and find that my case is unique. I've even heard of camp beds being put up in kitchens to accommodate family. I'm amazed there are families like that. But then, we're a family like that. The first time I stayed in my parents' house after leaving school at 18 was when I came home for Daddy's funeral, and I was by myself and didn't give my mother a choice. I'm staying with you, if you don't mind, I responded when she asked about my sleeping plans. She enjoyed me being with her for a week. She'd come into a room I was clearing out in preparation for her upcoming move closer to my brother in London and say, I wondered who was in here. It's so nice to have somebody in the house. Then on my last day, she came into my room at four in the morning and woke me up to remind me I was leaving soon. So maybe it wasn't so nice to have someone in the house for more than a few days. Even Larry, the blue-eyed cowboy who could do no wrong, wasn't allowed to stay at the house when he went to help her move to London a few weeks later. Actually, we grew used to this. They felt uncomfortable with people in the home, family and strangers alike. The flat here in Beckenham was different. I don't suppose Mum really thought it was hers. When Malia and I came to stay last August for three weeks, she asked me the customary question on the phone, Vivian. Forgive me for inquiring, but where are you staying? I said, with you, of course, and she said, I don't know if you can. Are people allowed to stay here? We stayed whether we were allowed to or not, and Malia slept on the living room floor with cushions from the Urkel furniture spread under her sheets and duvet. I know she would have disapproved of the thought of my planned prolonged visit to look after her. In fact, in hospital, when Vincent mentioned I was coming to stay, she denied any knowledge of the arrangement, spurring my brother to ask of me. What have you told Mummy about your plan? She seems to know nothing. Story of her life. Whatever I'd said she'd not retained, she persisted in her claims that she could manage on her own, which she'd not been doing for two years. She fiercely protected her privacy and didn't want the bother of company. She shied away from being a burden. Who wants to be a burden? And no amount of reassurances would change her perception of herself as a potential burden. There does come a time in a parent's life when they do not know what is best for them, and I was planning to become what was best for her, whether she wanted me to or not. The fact that my plans were thwarted has changed everything. 
Life is easier not having a full-time patient to look after. I wouldn't be telling the truth if I said otherwise. I'm unable, and, and I am able to say, without the reality of experience, I would have enjoyed being mum's companion, loving her to death, as I was jokingly going to call my memoir of the year. Whether she would have known or appreciated or enjoyed my presence is neither here or there. I would have reaped much joy from it. Well, I'm getting ready to go on a break now. And um, because I don't think I've scheduled any weather forecast news in my um, show today, I'll just give you a quick update. It's poured with rain for the last two days, pretty much nonstop. Um, The pattern here seems to be brilliant sunshine in the morning um, to wake up to, which is really nice. And then by about lunchtime, it starts to um, sprinkle and drizzle. But the last couple of days, it has poured with rain all night, all day, and all night again. So um, just thought you'd want to know. And it's very green out there. And I know in Texas, you would like some of my rain. So you can take it if you like. I'll be back in a minute. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. The American Rock and Roll Countdown with Alex Price. Now this Saturday morning, we're going to count them down one more time from number 40 all the way to number one with the official classic hits countdown, the American Rock and Roll Countdown. We'll count down the biggest hits of the 70s with interviews and artist information, news, weather, sports, you name it, we'll have it this Saturday morning, 9 o'clock Eastern, right here on Toginet for the American Rock and Roll Countdown. The American Rock and Roll Countdown on Toginet. The trick to getting published with your host, Florence Blake. Friday nights at 9, 8 central on Toginet.com. Flo has seen it, done it, and now can share from her experiences as a newspaper staff reporter, feature writer, freelance editor, and college writing instructor. And now Flo has authored a system whereby her students enjoy a 90% success rate in attaining publication of their manuscripts for the first time. In just four years, she has over 800 of her own articles published in national magazines, newspapers, and anthologies. Author of several books, including the powerful memoir, The Sicilian Nobleman's Daughter, Florence has advised and edited professors, deans, PhDs, and hundreds of students' writings before submission. And now it's your turn. Join us Friday nights with your questions. Most of Flo's students say they've learned much and thoroughly enjoyed the journey. It's The Trick to Getting Published with your host, Flo Blake. Friday nights at 9, 8 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. My guest this afternoon is Betty Hoffner, who knows how tough it can be for teens to hold on to their self-esteem, especially when faced with peer pressure, bullying, and self-bullying. 
Betty is co-founder of an association called Hey Ugly and has dedicated her life to educating people about the bullied and the bully. She speaks from experience and has written the book Stop Bullying Handbook, which to date has reached over 2,000 students and has millions more to go. She's also the author of Humankind, a book to end racism, and the creator of Laugh-A-Sizing, 60 Minutes of Contagious Laughter for Your Pleasure. Betty's a busy woman, and I'm blessed to welcome her back to my show this afternoon. Welcome! Hey, Vivian, how are you this morning? I'm very well, and thank you for joining me again this afternoon. Oh, yes, it is afternoon in your time code, Oh, yes, it is afternoon. Morning (laughs) for you, sorry. (laughs) I've already done half my day. Oh, good for you. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, first off, Betty, how are you? I'm wonderful. Good, I'm wonderful. Good. We've been working with um, a lot of kids and college students, and now we're also working with adults. And I'm really excited to share with you and your audience something that they might be able to do with their students, their children, um, their friends, to help them in this um, epidemic that's called bullying. And uh, what we've been doing is we we ask the child who's been bullied, we say, how bad, show me how bad it hurt to be bullied. Um, and, you know, we, we show them with their arm span. And these kids, they spread their arms as far apart as you could possibly imagine. That's how much it hurt to be bullied. Mm-hmm. And then we say to them, okay, that's, that hurts a lot. Let me ask you a question. If you knew that that bully that hurt you that bad, when that bully went home, um, if you knew that their something was happening at home or someone was telling them they weren't good enough, that they were ugly, that they'd never amount to anything. Someone or or a group of people were making them feel so, so bad. You knew that that was going on to that person. Then show me how much that bullying situation would hurt you. And Vivian, guess what? Their hands go down to this tiny, tiny little portion. And I think that's one of the keys that we can teach students. Then that's so important is to have empathy, not only for themselves, but to have empathy for that bully. And it does take the sting of the bullying situation um, away from what our research has been showing so far. Well, I was going to um, start off by um, asking you about, that you have a great title for one of your presentations. It's called How to Be Ugly. (laughs) So um, can you tell us um, what the um, letters U-G-L-Y actually stand for and how we can aspire to be ugly? Um, Ugly stands for unique, gifted, lovable you. And the whole presentation is to inspire the students to find their own uniqueness to see all the gifts that they have, to understand that each and every one of us is totally lovable, and the most important lesson is that it's okay to be the you that we are. There's so many times where we're out there being who we think other people want us to be. I mean, I've heard people say, "I'm, I'm who they want me to be, but we never really know what somebody else wants us to be. It's our own projection and perception that we throw out there, and then we try to make ourselves be something that we're really not. And you know how comfortable that is, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, just, it's really uncomfortable. So the, if, if we can teach them at a young age to just 
be happy with who they are and to understand that they are ugly. And the other thing is, is that it's the ugliest word in the English language. So when we get done working with the kids, they go out and they go, I'm ugly. No, I'm ugly. No, I'm ugly. And then they go, ugly, 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 (laughs) ugly. And it's no longer does that word have the negative power. Well, you were talking earlier about... um reaching out to college students and to older people now going into the workplace. And um, I know that you have something called ELAP, Empathy Learning Activity Plans, that you um, make available to schools. Um, So could we talk a little bit about that? And maybe some of my homeschool listeners um, might um, want to, you know, sort of do it with one of their support groups or one of their groups. So talk to us about that. Well, it all happened when we we start. We came up with a curriculum um, for the students, and we knew that educators had to reach certain mandated learning standards. Mm-hmm. So we made sure that there were mandated learn standards in everything that we were doing, but at the same time we were teaching students lessons that they needed to know in order to help them to learn everything else. Because when you feel good about yourself, when you're not afraid that, you know, someone's going to be making fun of you or someone's going to be pushing you or people are going to be negatively judging you, you can, as we all know, we can all learn a lot better. So the the foundation of our empathy learning activity plans is um, an activity called the Human Being Project, and it's spelled H-U-E-M-A-N, being. And it helps the students to be able to recognize when they're negatively judging themselves and negatively judging someone else. And when you're negatively judging yourself, you know, the messages that we give ourselves, I'm not good enough, I'll never be able to do this, I'm not as pretty as her, I can't play basketball as good as he does, all those self-defeating messages, that's called self-bullying. And it's kind of like exercise. If we can empower the people that go through our program to learn how to practice, 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 recognizing where they're having a negative judgment, canceling it out and replacing it with something positive, after a while, those negative um, judgments do go away. I'm, I can tell you firsthand, I grew up around a very judgmental family, and I became a very judgmental person. I would see somebody and I would judge them on their clothes, on their hair, on their skin color, on their age, all sorts of different things. And by using this technique we came up with, I no longer, ha- I, I no longer have to navigate through that, that negative energy within myself or, or throw it out at anybody else. Um, and, and then we deal with things like deservedness, gratitude, forgiveness. We have one that's called Thank You Body, I Promise to Keep You Healthy. Mm-hmm. And it literally helps you to value yourself even deeper than just loving yourself. It's to, uh, we, one of the things that we do is we ask that the students to have, we have a contest and we say, write down as many things as you can think about on your body um, and don't repeat anything, but the one who comes up with the most wins. And so they write down heart, hair, um, you know, blood, things like that. But then hardly ever do they mention knuckles. And then we point that out to them, and we go, do, what, are, what, could, what could we not do if we didn't have our knuckles? And then they start coming up with, oh, I couldn't use uh, my computer. I couldn't pick up a glass. And then we talk about, you know, ankles, which hardly anybody mentions the ankles, at least in, you know, the age groups that we deal with. So it's just another way to be able to help people to 
turn into themselves and appreciate and love themselves. And we truly believe that once you see the miracle that you are, you cannot help but see the miracle that everybody else is. Well, um, so as as homeschoolers, how how can parents kind of convince their children of this? Because it's easy to say to children who who are bombarded with this media, you know, even if they're not watching television, they're driving down the street and they're seeing these ads with these beautiful girls who are slender and got beautiful hair and perfect makeup or whatever. Um, You know, they can't help but compare themselves to these perfect people out there. Um, How, you know, it's easy to say, well, you know, not everybody's like that or think beyond, you know, maybe Photoshop's been involved or whatever. But, you know, they don't believe that. They don't take that in. All they see is what they see. Right. I I think the key is what you said. How do they convince? And I I think that if parents learn that they that it's convincing is not the right um, avenue to pursue with a child, it's more to have the ask the student, ask the child the question, um, elicit from them um, solutions to different situations. Even adults, we all when we see those pictures in the magazines, there's a little bit of something that sometimes triggers on us, and we have to remind ourselves. So instead of trying to convince the child, I would say that you sit down and you say, what do you think about all these pictures um, in the magazines and this, that, and the other, and see what the student has to say. And then it's called guided learning. You can you can say, you know, I was reading an article somewhere. So you're not coming across as the, the expert and the authority. You're mm-hmm. coming across as a co- um, uh, solver, <laughs> you know, together you can solve this problem or have the, the, the child solve the problem. And we have found that that is so much more empowering because these kids know. We have something called um, the Ugly Celebrity of the Year. And it's one of the activity plans that we have where we actually have, there's, there's two parts to it. We have the students break out in groups of four, and then we have them discuss which celebrities of the year exhibited good role model behaviors and which ones did not and why. And then one of the people in the group stand up and then they share it with the entire class. So now you've got peer-to-peer learning. So in case if you're homeschooling three or four students, you know peer-to-peer really, really works. And then... Um, they send in their nominations to us, and last year Mark Wahlberg won because the kids were talking about how he was in prison and he was in uh, into drugs and he was going down the wrong road, and he chose to stop, look at his life, and to change. And now he's doing so much philanthropy work, and he's doing you know productions and acting and um, all this other kind of stuff. So I, I think that was beautiful that they particularly chose him on that ground. The second part is we have them. Um, go through tons of magazines and we give them a big poster board. Each student individually has their own poster board and we say, pick out all the images out of the magazine that you think could build up somebody's self-esteem. And then also rip out the ones that you think could hurt somebody's self-esteem. And also look for words that you think could build somebody up or tear somebody down. And then put it in in a collage and then we'll talk about it. And um, it's amazing what these kids come from. They see they, they, they know what's out there, and and with a little bit of guidance and a lot of conversation, you can help these students to be able to overcome the photoshopping world that we're living in right now. Well, for those of you, thank you, um, Betty, for that. For those of you just joining us, I'm talking to Betty Hoffner, who has an educational program for schools called ELAB. 
which is Empathy Learning Activity Plan, in which she promotes non-bullying um, by forming student body teams to act as ambassadors for respecting others' feelings while getting in touch with their own. Um, by using the tools and language provided by Betty's association, Hey Ugly, young people will be helped to live fear-free lives by taking responsibility for their own emotions and feeling empathy for others. And um, Betty and I will be back after this short break to continue our conversation. So don't go too far. And um, Betty, thank you once again for joining us. I, I know it's very early in the morning for you, but um, take a 90-second break. <laughs> How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNitty, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Trisha will dig deep into topics that matter most to women, inspiring women to make a change in their own lives and to make a difference in the world, and maybe even deep within their own hearts. Trisha is a wife, mom, speaker, family expert, and author of 24 books. For more information on Trisha and Living Inspired, go to her website, trishagoyer.com. That's T-R-I-C-I-A-G-O-Y-E-R.com. Trisha's vision is to be the voice of hope and possibility for women of all ages. Her intention is to serve ordinary women by encouraging extraordinary things with God's help. Trisha expresses real life, real hope for real women. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for you to be a rock star. Get ready to rock with Rock Talk and Kirk Deswalt and learn how to achieve rock star status in your industry every Tuesday afternoon at 2, 1 Central on toginet.com. Craig Deswald is the creator of the Rockstar System for Success. Craig will share easy tips and strategies on how entrepreneurs and businesses can use outside-the-box marketing strategies to stand out from their competition. Each high-energy show will feature interviews with celebrity rock stars as well as business rock stars. For more on Craig, the show, and the Rockstar Marketing Boot Camps, check out the website, CraigDuswalt.com, so you can learn how to be perceived as an expert and celebrity in your field, so more people come to you to buy your services and products. Then, get ready to be a rock star with Rock Talk and Craig Deswalt. Tuesday afternoons at 2, 1 Central on Tugginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. So, Betty, I think that's a wonderful idea how you use magazines and pictures that are out there and, and they make their posters and they make collages and um, stuff like that because stere stereotyping is such an easy thing to do. I still find myself wanting to do it. You know, I see somebody on the street or somebody stands next to me, standing next to me in line at the grocery store and maybe they smell or their hair's greasy or something like that and immediately I'm 
And then I have to stop myself and go, no, you know, that happens to me too. You know, maybe other things are going on in their life and that's just not important right now. So um, consciously, you said you had to, um, you know, sort of stop judging people because you grew up in a very judgmental family. So what are some of the steps that you can take to do that? What, what are some of the questions you can ask yourself? Let's put it that way. When well, you see somebody that doesn't quite, you know, sort of fit in with your ideas. Well, the first thing that we do is we have all the students stand around in a circle and they put their forearms next to each other and they look at the, the hue of their skin, which is why it's called the Human Being Project. So, you know, skin color is one of the, the, the key things that we judge each other on and we also uh, bully each other about. So when everybody is looking at that and we, we get them talking about how everyone's hue is different, everyone's hue, and then they all recognize that. And we say, now that we're talking about the difference, let's get to common ground. What are things that all human beings have in common? And each student is to come up with one thing. And we give them a little bit of an example to get them started. You know, so it could be as simple as we all have, um, you know, um, eyes to as complicated as we all have feelings to get hurt when we get bullied. So they'll go around the circle, and, and Vivian, invariably someone will say, Butts, you know, and everybody giggles, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> then we jump into negative judgments and we say, um, anybody here have been negatively judged? Everybody raises their hands. So each one um, talks about a negative judgment that have to, happened to them. And we also say, if you can remember the first time that negative judgment ever happened and who it was that negatively judged you, mention that. And so I always say that, you know, my brother used to call me thunder thighs when I was a kid. So when we get through with that negative judgment and how terrible it feels, we then reverse it and we say, okay, now fess up. You, let's take responsibility for our behaviors. Have you ever negatively judged someone? Now the shoe's on the other foot and they're able to recognize that. And when you do it in a concentrated method like this, it really helps, and with the other students, so it helps them to understand that they're not alone, which is the key in almost everything that we're doing, that you are not alone, because so many of these students that we've dealt with that had been contemplating suicide because of bullying situations um, or were cutting themselves is all because they felt that they were alone. And everything we're trying to do at our nonprofit is to help them to see Everybody goes through these type of things. Exactly like you were talking about, Vivian. Even today, sometimes when you see those pictures, you're still um, going to thinking, "Oh, maybe I'm not good enough. Why, do, why don't? Why isn't my hair as pretty mm -hmm. as that or shiny as that? Uh -huh. Come on, <laughs> whose hair could be that shiny all the time, right?" Yeah, well, <laughs> but, but then lastly, then after they've, they've taken responsibility for their building behavior, then we go into the third and most important again, which is the self-bullying, the negative messages we give ourselves. Then we teach them, if you could imagine your listeners, take your thumb and your middle finger and pretend like you have a P, that you're holding one P there. And then we tell the students to imagine that that's a negative thought that they had about themselves or somebody else, and then squish it out so you squish that P between those two fingers, and then you take your pointer finger and you tap your head twice, and that is when you're putting in that positive message, tapping that in twice. And by giving a student some type of a physical thing to go along with an exercise for them to do repetitively helps to even drive home the um, 
the, the, the results of the study. So, Vivian, I suggest you do that. Just the next time you have that negative judgment, the first thing is do not negatively judge yourself because you had that thought. The second thing is put that little negative thought in a P and squish it out. And mm-hmm. then if that's, you know, somebody standing in line at the, at the checkout counter, then tap into your head. Well, people think you're crazy, but that's okay. Just make a little <laughs> tap into your head that, well, his beautiful eyes, or he has, you know, r- you know, really nice posture, or, um, you know, he could be a great dad. One of the things that we talk to the kids about as part of the empathy is, you, you may have heard the story before, um, I don't know, but there's a story about a flight attendant who's on a plane, and there's a man who's there with three children, and the three children are running up and down the aisles of the plane, and all the passengers are complaining, and people are thinking that this man is just the worst father, and he's not taking care of his kids at all, and he doesn't care about anybody but himself, blah, blah, blah. And so, finally, the flight attendant, after getting so many complaints from the passengers, goes over to to this man, and instead of, you know, yelling at him or whatever, she just says, are you all right? And he looks at her and he says, no, I'm not. We just found out that my wife died, and I'm taking my three boys to go to the hospital where they have her body. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the key, the key, and when we tell that to kids, they stop, and we say, until you're in somebody else's shoes, mm-hmm. until you know what that bully is going through when that bully gets home. And then we relate back to different movies, The Karate Kid, um, and there's a movie that was out called Beastly. Um, the bullies are usually, 90% of the time, if not more, being bullied someplace else, Mm -hmm. which is why we teach the students and they embrace this so much. Whenever they're being bullied, they say to the bully, they look him right in the eye or her in the eye, and we say, who's treating you so mean that you have to be mean to me? Mm. Well, Betty, you work a lot with people um, and young young people face-to-face, and so I think when you're having to confront someone eyeball to eyeball things change you know when you actually see an expression on somebody's face or tears start to well in somebody's eyes when you're being you know sort of judgmental with them or when you're actually talking to them and finding out a little bit more about them and trying to connect with them that that gets your message across really really well but let's go to the bullying on cyberspace where children are empowered because they can't see the the victims they cannot they 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 can be even meaner you know when i was at school i used to pass notes you know to my friend and we'd be a little bit catty you know with our notes and stuff like that but we were still physically there and physically looking at the person we were writing about and looking at the person we were passing the note to you know this the cyber bullying that's not happening so can we talk a little bit now about that absolutely um, in fact, we were called into a high school because they were having a huge cyberbullying problem, and I went into the students and I said to them, "Okay, if it was you, if and I pointed to one of the students, and you were being cyberbullied, would you want your fellow students to email you and say we don't we see what's going on, we don't believe any of this, because again." The person being bullied, whether it's cyberbullied or, or what up by, by a family member or by um, a student, um, an ex-friend, all the other kind of stuff, they feel so alone. They feel like they're the only ones, and, and complicating that is they think that 
everyone around them is thinking those thoughts. Mm. I mean, have you ever had that? Mm. You know, you're in a conflict with with someone at school, and then when you go to school, you think everyone is thinking the exact same thing. Mm. Well, and and so we asked them, would you want that? And they said, yes, they would want that. Then we said to the rest of the students, can you email, if you find somebody that's being cyberbullied, can you email them? Can you come to their support? Can you maybe walk by them at their locker and say, listen, I don't believe any of this stuff. You need somebody to talk to, talk to me. And you know what they said? No. This is high school students. No way. Really? No way. I said, what? I, I mean, I was shocked. And they, and, and they said, because then that cyberbully is going to come after me. Yeah. And, I, and then so I'd say, so you're going to give all the power to the cyberbully that nobody really knows who it is anyway, because quite often they're anonymous. You're going to give all this power away to those people just to protect yourself. And they said, you don't understand. Some of these have gangs, and they come out after you in, in, a, in a gang format and will, will injure you tremendously. Mm-hmm. So there is such a fear out there, particularly with the older students about this. And so, again, I said, can't you just send a text? They don't have, I mean, that way everybody's not seeing that you're doing this to let this person know that, that they're not alone. So they did acquiesce to that a little bit and said that they would send an email over. But the key to anybody out there, if you are being cyber bully, do, know that nobody believes it. I mean, we're, we're, we're smart enough out there. The, your, your fellow students are smart enough out there to know that this is a bunch of baloney, but also know that maybe they're not coming to your aid because they're scared to death, too. And um, have empathy for them. But also remember what a friend of mine, Michael Kortzen, always said, if someone calls you an elephant, would you grow a trunk? Mm-hmm. Hmm. These are words. They're malicious words. And we're, we were working with a boy who wasn't cyberbully, but um, his mom called us. He was thrown on the ground and repeatedly kicked in the face by a bully, someone that he had grown up with. And this has been going on for three years. And so she asked if we could help him because his self-esteem was just in the toilet. And we immediately called the police department and said, what can, what can somebody do? And, you know, there were 12 girls standing around watching this young man being beat up by this boy. And... Um, they said, just like the, like the schools, just like anybody else, unless there's video or eyewitnesses, there's not much that we can do because otherwise it becomes a he said, she said type of a situation. Mm-hmm. So together with the police department, we, saw, we started something called bullyingbystandersunite.org. And there it, it informs people and kids how to safely come to the aid of someone who's being bullied and then to be able to spread word about that, too. I mean, it's, it's a pledge. It's a free pledge. And it also has instructions on how to do it safely. So if you can see something happening and you're afraid the bully is going to come after you, if you can go to a safe place where they can't see you, mm-hmm. hold up your phone or pick up the phone. Uh, police departments have anonymous phone numbers that you can use if you're afraid that things are going to be traced back to you. But just come to the aid by being a witness. Being a witness, and if you can, if there's not physical abuse going on and it's just verbal, um, and you have a group of people with you, you can go over to that student that's being bullied and say, "Hey, Karen, come on, we've, I need you over here." Get, a, you know, or, or going to the bully and say, "You know what you're doing is not cool." Karen, come on, let's let's go. We've got to meet, go to this class. We've got to go to this meeting or something like that, and surround them. But again, the key is help these kids to understand that they're not alone and the ones that are alone right now give them as much support as you possibly can 
Betty, I'm going on another break. Can you come back for five more minutes? We can talk more about how to contact you at Hey Ugly. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. People think I've made it. I'm popular. I seem happy all the time. I have great clothes, and I'm involved in everything. But I have questions, doubts, and fears, just like every other teenager. That's why I'm glad for Teen Talk Radio, where it's all about choices. Join us for Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell, Thursday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. The choices we have to make that can alter the course of our lives. Life is too much pressure if we try to go it alone. I tune in to Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell every week to get reminded that I'm not alone. Nicole O'Dell is an expert on what happens in the lives of teenagers. Join her as she deals with topics like peer pressure, purity, drugs, alcohol, and many other things that might come up along the way. She writes books and speaks to people all over the place, but she says her favorite moments are when she can pull up a chair and chat with teens about what's important to us. For more information on Nicole and her books, go to NicoleOdell.com. Then join us for Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell, Thursday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet.com. Teen Talk Radio, where it's all about choices. Girlfriend It is on Toginet, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, with your hosts Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. The Girlfriend It principle was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies that you can be extremely okay and be extremely Sad. Check out girlfriended.com and then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to have mm-hmm. somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, Betty, um, I want to talk to you now a little bit, and it's all connected, um, a little bit about... um, it's not just at school that you get bullied. And I think um, in the workplace, we used to call it harassment. We probably still call it harassment, but it's bullying as well. And I think for cyberbullying, there's going to be a law passed to make it illegal now. So I suppose perhaps they've got stuff they can go in and, and see the proof and, and everything. Do you know anything about that? Oh, yes. I think there's uh, like 47 states where it's illegal to be able to um, uh, do the cyberbullying. And the the entire case that happened in Boston where the girl from Ireland uh, was being cyberbullied by all those kids and then she committed suicide has um, encouraged a lot of different states to put um, laws into effect. 
Mm-hmm. So uh, that also helps us because we have a, a we have a whole section on bullying on our website, and cyberbullying is one of them that we talk about. So we're trying to reach not only, as we say, the bullied and the bully, but we want the bully and the cyberbully to be able to see that, hey, you know, you could go to prison for this. You could really, really get in some big trouble. And once we work with the kids, and, and particularly the ones that are the bullies, um, and help them to be able to see that they are ugly and to be able to have them have empathy for themselves because they don't and for others. And also one of the keys is for them to be able to forgive themselves and more importantly to ask for forgiveness um, from the people that they had bullied before. And this could work even in the workplace because i got to tell you, when I was a kid I was bullied and I was a bully and I grew up to become a boss that bullied. And yeah. I actually went out and asked for apology. Mm. Mm. You know, it's key. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes, in the workplace, I mean, you know, there is a lot of, of bullying going on. I think it's sort of ignored because it's kind of like, well, it just goes with the territory. It's the job, grow up, welcome to the real world, I suppose, what people would say. Mm-hmm. And um, it's tough. It's tough when, when um, I looked it up online, it said, you know, when you start to feel sick before you go into work, the same as at school, you know, um, then you know that there's something going on. And I think, goodness me, you, you just think that bullying kind of stops at the school gate, but it doesn't. It continues through life because if that's the way, you know, as a bully you've you've functioned, then it's you're going to need help to not be doing that anymore. Absolutely. And another word for bullying in the workplace is called micromanaging. When you're being micromanaged and you're not allowed to flourish and just breathe and do your job and use your talents to be able to do what it is, and that was what I, I was a micromanager. So when I learned not to do any of that kind of stuff, I went and I apologized to my staff, and they were able to flourish. Then I went into a situation where I was partners in an organization, and this woman was uh, micromanaging me. So I got to know what it felt like on the other side, too. So it's kind of like karma always coming back to you. But the sooner we can learn these lessons, the better. Betty, tell us where we can find you online. Um, You can go to Mm -hmm. preventbullyingnow.org or you can email us at preventbullyingnow at heyugly.org. Okay. And um, I know I've been on to, I just go, hey, ugly, and I get your your website, so it's really easy. You don't have to be really specific. But heyugly.org takes you through. You can you can click on all these links that takes you to right. the self-bullying, right. cyberbullying and everything, and um, shows some of the programs that you do and um, going into the schools and forming these um, young groups that, um, you know, can teach. Because I think the peers... Is, is, is the key. If you've got your peers, uh, you're sort of helping you and guiding you. I think um, that that is that is a key in itself. That's right. So, now the, hey, uh, the Hey Ugly site is, is more for kids, but adults really like it. But for anyone who's a, an educator, the Prevent Bullying Now shows you all the different programs that are available. Oh, it does. Okay. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I, I'll, make, I'll put that on my I'll put that on my um, web page when I do the podcast. It'll come up with the podcast. So great. Um, well, Betty, thank you so much um, for Vivian, joining us. Vivian, it was a pleasure. You are a wonderful one interview. It's it's so fun to be with you. Well, good. I'm glad, and I hope you um, enjoy the rest of your day, and you have a wonderful weekend. Thank you so much for having me on. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, 
I was talking to Betty Hoffner, co-founder of Hey Ugly and supporter of teens and tweens who are struggling with their self-esteem, leaving them prime agents for peer pressure and bullying. Betty has written a handbook called Stop Bullying Handbook and has co-authored Humankind, a book to end racism. And you can find her easily at heyugly.org. And she also said preventbullyingnow.org. Um, and um, you can find all the links to her other websites and you can go onto my page at Toginet and um, find her so um, that was great if you have any questions you can email Betty as well I'll, I'll put her email address up there um, well our trip last week to Canterbury the place where the Barnes family which is my mother's side reside was better than I expected I was sort of dreading it I found myself wanting to tell mum that I didn't really want to be facing all these grieving family members and I realised she wasn't there to tell anymore and that I was one of those grieving family members and on the way we stopped off to pay our respects at Jacob's grave located in the ancient and magnificent graveyard of St Michael and All Angels Parish Church in Harble down near Canterbury. My oh my, it was set on a hill overlooking a fantastic fab view of Kent's orchards. Jacob's grave was lovely with cut garden flowers or daisies picked along the wayside adorning his precious little patch of ground. It was his wish not to use store-bought flowers, only those that grew wild. His grave was surrounded by old people who had died in their 80s, so his 21 years stood out starkly amidst the octogenarians. And the family is considering a tree to mark his final resting place. We arrived at the house of hospitable Jonathan and Cherry fame and hugged each other trying not to say how are you because we all knew we were in mourning for particular family members but the phrase rolled off the tongue without regard to feelings so we accepted it and smiled and hugged ourselves a little tighter and did what we do best in these family gatherings drink tea and we ate mountains of homemade banana cake and lemon poppy seed cake, a couple of Jacob's signature creations. After the sun abandoned us on the patio, we moved our chairs and high knees down to the garden, and Cherry brought us wine to sip while we waited for two more family members en route from Salisbury. The McNinney contingency of the Barneses were the only ones who'd had a light lunch at 11.30. Sani's on the train, remember? So we were reasonably hungry, despite the cake by the time dinner was served. Food was laid out in the conservatory and everyone put on a brave face as, a face as only Brits can do and they loaded their plates and ate a healthy dinner of cheese and Jonathan's freshly baked bruschetta, salad, olives and prosciutto, followed by more cake and coffee made in a cafetiere. I mean, how European can you get? It was a healing family gathering. We shared our losses, talked about our loves and drowned our sorrows with good food, good wine and conversation. The following day was Mum's funeral. I was sad and spent the morning on the promenade in the sun watching people. Three o'clock finally rolled around and Mum would have approved of the attendance, 12 in all, a very manageable number. Vincent and I sat in the front with hubby and daughter and although we know them as verbatim, without service sheets it was impossible to get all the responses right and no when to kneel or stand and we felt silly. But no one behind us noticed. I wonder if the priest thought we were a wedding and a funeral lot. The crematorium was next and could have been totally skipped, which some of, the, some of them did. But my brother wanted to see mum off, naturally. Afterwards at the pub, we were ten for the wake. Two had gone home. We could have had an intimate sit-down meal, but didn't. The large room engulfed us and we sat huddled at three small tables and talked of mum. May she rest in peace. 
Well, with a month gone and parents out of the mix, dynamics have changed in Garland. We've noticed that in the four weeks since we've left home, a few things have happened that would not have had we been there, or am I just kidding myself? This is what has transpired. Simon, the keeper of our house, has gone native. We asked of our oldest and more sensible son if Simon and his friends run around the property in loincloths, and he replied, I wish. We saw evidence of a skinned squirrel in our fridge, courtesy of Ian's iPhone and Skype. Yes, the critters are a problem, but killing them to eat? Come on. Simon and his friend also caught and killed a turtle from the creek and ate it too. Are they still alive? What's going on? The iPhone Skype informer is pleased to report the house is still standing and very hot because landlord's son refuses to put the air on too much since he now pays the utility bill. Ha! Next on the list of changes, our oldest daughter has moved to Corpus Christi, where she transferred with her teaching job. Corpus Christi, she says, is such a lovely place. It has small, it is small and five minutes from the sea, and she has friends there. Always a plus. She's such an independent young lady. Our reality checks in person probably cramped her style, but talking on a computer screen is a little more empowering. The boys took her out to dinner on her last day. Thanks, sons. I imagine they had a lovely time. Time. Our oldest would naturally be next on the list of changes, but to date, he isn't saying much about how life has changed for him. No killing and eating of questionable creatures, that I know. His contract ran out for his job, and he's spending quality time at the house, probably in the pool. But other than that, I can tell he uses his iPhone as a fact-finding tool. And Malia, how is she doing? Well, she has a job. She's worked three shifts so far, and guess what? She's a barista again, and a star one at that, because they keep telling her, well, the way you do it is probably right, because you were trained in America. I'm sure she could get away with murder. Yep, you've guessed it. <coughs> Excuse me, she's at Starbucks. Having been already trained the American way, they love her already. No one in her little store, <coughs> just outside the mall in Bromley, shouts, Good morning, welcome to Starbucks. They don't ask or put the customers' names on the cups so that they can sing out, Larry, your wet cappuccino is ready at the counter. The manager told Malia on her first day, Maybe when we get to know them a bit better, we'll use their Christian name. See, I told you a couple of weeks ago that the use of the first name in America was a tad bit too forward for, and presumptuous for us close-lipped Brits. They use porcelain cups and saucers for customers who stay in the cafe and sometimes even walk the orders out to the tables. Malia has to wash up. She's not used to doing that. Well, I've managed to rattle on for another hour and it's time for me to bid you farewell for the week. This weekend we have a fair at the local pub. They're closing streets for it, so if it's fine, we'll be going. Malia's working, so we'll have some peace and quiet. My reading and writing group is heading to New Mexico for a week-long writing retreat. Wish I was there. Be safe, everyone. Happy birthday this week to my daughter, Paris, and her friend, Kerry, at TogiNet. They share a birthday and are one year apart. For more news, go to my blog at thesociablehomeschooler.com. Have a great weekend. And thanks to my handsome husband, who believes in love at first sight, our four children, who are the result of that belief. We miss the three of you in Texas, the hardworking staff at TogiNet Radio, my guest, Betty Hoffner, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Anne, Hannah, Tina, Rosemary, and many others who are part of my growing audience. May the Lord bless you and keep you and watch over you and give you peace. See you next week.
Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Talk.